Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. So we're in the um, book of Ephesians, um, going through um, how God enlightens our hearts, how he actually connects with us and shares with us and what he does through all of that. Um, as I was reading through it, I think it's hard to sort of stop at just a section. There's so much incredible uh, wisdom and insight that God wants to share with us from Ephesians. Um, so read all of Ephesians. I was reading a lot in First and Second Corinthians too, and Paul saying a lot of the same things. Um, so I'd like to go through uh, from verse 17 to 19. And just unpack a couple of the incredibly huge thoughts that are there. I think that any one of them we could spend maybe our whole life trying to figure out and understand. But um, I'll start just by reading it. So Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 19. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. So at the beginning, he um, Paul's praying obviously for the church at Ephesus, and he says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. So we know that it's the spirit that gives us wisdom. There's so much that we won't understand. Um, In 1 Corinthians 2, again, Paul writing, he says, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So we know that we cannot understand um, what God wants us to understand. We can't understand spiritual things unless the spirit of wisdom and revelation reveals them to us. And Paul says, and I can't remember, it's probably in 1 Corinthians as well, where he says that it's foolishness to the wise. So as wise as we are, as much as we start to understand, as much as we know, spiritual things don't make any sense unless the eyes of our hearts are opened so that we can actually see spiritual things. The Bible says that the spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. I was um, grateful last week, thanks Brody, that um, Pastor Steve quoted Charles Spurgeon. He, it is, he can be hard to read. The English is a little older and his thoughts are big and forceful. But um, there's a section here that he, that I read, which I thought I'd read for you. He says, unbelievers ask for a phenomena. 
The old business doctrine of pursuing cold facts and numbers has entered into religion, and the skeptic cries, what I want is facts. These are our facts, let us not forget them. A skeptic challenges me with the remark, I cannot pin my faith to a book or a history. I want to see present facts. My reply is, you cannot see them because your eyes are blinded, but the facts are there nonetheless. None of us who have eye, uh, those of us who have eyes see marvelous things, though you do not. What right do you have to deny my evidence? If I were a blind man and were told by you that you possessed a faculty called sight, I should be unreasonable if I railed you at you as a conceited enthusiast. All you have a right to say is that you know nothing about it. Um, this section, I think, is, although I don't think I could speak to any of my friends in that sort of manner, the way that Spurgeon is explaining it, he says, if, you, if I'm blind and you tell me that you can see, I can't stand here and make fun of you and say, that's ridiculous, there's no such thing. Um, all I can say is, I don't actually see. I don't see it. I don't understand what you're talking about. And that's what spiritual things are. That's why we need the spirit to understand them. No matter how hard we try to understand, we don't understand anything spiritual unless the spirit of wisdom and revelation actually reveals it to us. So that's what Paul's praying here right at the beginning. Um, so after we've spent just a little time in these scriptures, I, we're going to um, have a time where we can call for the Spirit, call for revelation to come to us and enlighten our hearts so that we can actually see things that God wants us to see. I think it's very easy for us um, to get a little bit lost and stuck in the things that are here, that are not necessarily real, um, that are not as true. Um, my brother, Reese, he's 10 years younger and intensely competitive. Um, growing up, of course, I'm 10 years older, so until we were, say, 20s, he was 20s, I was more, um, he, I could always win. We wrestle, I would win. Um, we, whatever, you know, playing sports and that sort of thing. I was a lot older, so it made more sense. Um, there was a time, I don't know if I've shared this before, he was, um, he'd come over, and I'd been working at a, um, at a technical company, and I was mostly off the tools. I was on a computer doing design work and that sort of thing, not physically active at all. Um, been married a couple of years, and he had been working on the farm growing up. He was, he's also about that big. Um, he'd been building fences with dad, digging ditches, um, and riding motorbikes, and he was fit and he was strong, splitting wood, that sort of thing. So he took my phone from me. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I'm 10 years older, he's my little brother, I will take him down and I'll take my phone from him with force. But I couldn't. He, um, he took it and goes, come on, get it, shorty. So, you know, I take him to the ground where I can reach it and I grab it and he's very strong. Um, you know, carrying wood and stuff out on the farm versus typing on a computer. Very strong. And so I wrestled with him for maybe 10, 15 minutes, which is exhausting. Certain that I was about to get the upper hand, but never, never could. Couldn't hold him down anything. You know, that was the last time that we ever wrestled. But um, so in that intensely competitive spirit, he'll 
often say to me, so when we're, you know, we maybe disagree about something, and I prove to him that he is incorrect and that I am in fact right, he goes, well, I wasn't wrong, you were just more right than I was. Um, I was actually looking at, um, I forget where I heard this analogy, but if you look at, say, this lectern, for example, and forgive me, Dr. Sarah Croft, if I get this wrong, the um, atoms are made up, atoms make up this, right? And I tell you that it's solid. An atom is protons, neutrons, with electrons spinning around, and in the middle is empty space. So if I tell you that this is solid, and you tell me that this is empty space, you're about 99.99999% more right than I am. There's more empty space here than, than solid. But it's a matter of our perspective. And as we see things with a correct perspective, we realize maybe we saw it this way, but if we can see it with the eyes of our heart, if we can be enlightened in the way that the Spirit wants to reveal to us, we'll be far more right than if we see it this way. Um, so the second major thought in this section is that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we know the hope that he's called us to. Um, we had Connect Group last Thursday and had the advantage of going, let's look at how we all study our Bible. And I was like, well, here's a good section that I'm currently studying. Um, and Will Wood, who goes through and reads in original Greek and Hebrew and translated from Latin, um, loves to have a look at what words they actually use in each section. And he said that this section is probably like the eyes of our heart, the word heart. Like we don't have as many words in English as they do in some of these older languages. So we use heart sometimes when maybe we could better translate this, the eyes of our understanding or the eyes of our imagination or the eyes of our judgment. So this is our heart where we actually really, really know things, where things are far more solid and mean a whole lot more. Um, Bill Johnson says that your heart will often understand something long before your head does. And you'll hear something read or you hear a song that just touches you or a poem or you read something in a book and you go, wow, there's so much truth in that. I don't know exactly what it means, but I know that there's so much in it. And I think that that's why he's asking for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. You've probably heard phrases like, you believe it in your heart of hearts, or um, taking something to heart, or getting to the heart of the matter, knowing something by heart. These are how we really, really truly understand things. And that's what Paul's praying for us here. So it's here in our hearts that God wants us to know it says in Romans 5.5, 5, um, a hope that doesn't disappoint. He wants us to understand this hope. And a good picture of hope is if you imagine the kids get up Christmas morning, right? And they're not allowed out of bed, not allowed into the living room until, say, 7 o'clock. And they're sitting here at the end of the hallway, waiting. They've seen mum and dad out. They've seen presents under the tree, Right? And they know mum and dad were up late and that there's more things under the tree that they haven't seen. And they know, they know for sure, these presents are for them, right? They just have to sit there and wait until 7 o'clock, at which point they will run down the hallway and open these presents. That's a confident expectation of future good. That's what he's talking about when he says, knowing the hope. Our hope isn't, boy, I, I really hope this happens. The kids aren't sitting there going, oh, I hope there's maybe a present for me. No, they know. 
confidently expect because they know their father, they know their parents, they know the good that they have there stored up for them. And hope comes to us when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. It's discerned by our spiritual sight, which lets us see the things with God's perspective. So maybe there's areas in your life where you actually feel hopeless. Um, I've heard it said that anything, any area in your life that doesn't have hope is under the influence of a lie. There's something that's there that you've actually believed that isn't true. When our eyes are actually opened, we can see things the way they really are, the way that God has them. And then we actually are confidently expecting that future good. So later on after we've finished here, we're going to have a time where we can actually pray and say, God, is there, is this area in my life? Is there something that I'm not seeing? And we'll ask the Spirit to actually reveal to us the hope that's in there. So the third thought from this section is that we'll understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints. I don't know if we can fully grasp how huge that sort of, that idea is. Maybe we'll spend all our lives trying to figure it out. Um, Jesus came down to earth to die for the hope of us. He came to win us. He, and we understand just maybe a tiny, tiny bit what he did for us on the cross to win us back to himself. But the Bible says that he did this for the joy that was set before him. He went, these people, that's worth it. I will pay this price for them. That's his inheritance. That's what this verse is saying. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints, that's us. And even if maybe we understand a little bit about the cross, he then went to hell for three days to make it so that we didn't have to go there to take the keys. I don't know that we can even begin to understand the cost that he paid, but that was because he said, I know who these guys are, and I think it's worth it. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul's um, quoting Isaiah where he says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And that's, that's for us. So if we can have our eyes enlightened just a bit, if we can actually start to understand who God's called us to be, if we can see the value that he placed in us, because the Bible says that before God created the earth, he was thinking of us. Can you imagine that the creator of the universe went, ah, I know, Andrew, and I'm going to do this. He knew the price. It was always plan A, that he would come to the cross, that he would redeem us to himself. But he was thinking of us. He knew who we were. He knew who we were going to be, and he knew that that was worth it. I think so much of our Christian walk is just us having the scales removed from our eyes so that we can see this is who I am. This is the price that Jesus paid was worth it because this is who I am. A lot of our culture and society, I think, is constantly trying to push away who we are inside, who we really are. And our identity is just under constant bombardment. We have um, even 
simple things. You know, we, we find our identity in our work. We find our identity in our family, in our church, in our spirituality, our knowledge of the Bible even. These are all things, and we're finding our identity there. But God actually wants us to understand who he's called us to be so that we can understand the real hope that's in us. I mean, even to the point of attacking our very identity as male and female as he created us. And I know that it can be a hot topic, which I'm not trying to dive into. God created male and female. Now we're saying there's 33 different genders and we're trying to have a five-year-old choose which one. How do they find their identity if we can't show them? This is who God's made you. This is who you actually are. And we have so many people struggling for identity and connection and to find, well, who am I? Um, I'll misquote this, so I won't quote it. There was a survey done um, where they asked a couple of thousand people, if you could ask God one thing, what would it be? And the overwhelming response, number one, more than number two and three combined, was that I would know my purpose. God, why am I here? What am I doing here? How can we know who we are if we don't understand from him who he's created us to be? Our identity is supposed to be grown and affirmed in our relationship with God. And as we connect to God and hear from him who he's made us to be, and we connect to the church and actually build in community as he's designed us to, we start to understand this is who God's made me. This is why he made me like this. These are the gifts that he's given me. Because the God who created us, like we are, on purpose, for a real purpose, who had us in mind before the creation of the world, who paid an incredible price that we can't possibly understand, he's the one who knows who we are. And it's only in him that we can actually find out who we are, his saints, and understand what he's saying is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. One more thought um, that sort of finishes up the last part of this section is his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Once we actually understand who we are, who we really are, who he's made us to be, and what he's done for us, then we begin to step into the power that he's given us. Um, there was, when Christy and I were first dating. Actually, we were engaged at this point. We were sitting on the couch together and um, talking about, you know, our future and be nice not to, you know. It's difficult when you're engaged because you've chosen to be married, but you're not there yet. And so there's struggles as well as physical. And we were talking about it, trying to keep the light on this subject. And um, I had, when I was a teenager, struggled a little bit with pornography. And I was honest about that and said, look, there had been these things that I've worked through and gained some victory in, um, and which was okay and there was some understanding and there wasn't any real disagreement. But as we're sitting there talking, it was as if Christy was fading away. Like she's literally lying in my lap. We'd been watching a movie and I'm looking at her going, I don't know if you've ever seen sort of a, a scary movie, but I was almost e expecting 
her face to melt away and be something completely different. It was really, really strange, and I've never sort of had an experience like that, but so disconnected and removed, and I asked her, what's, what's going on? And she's like, I, I don't know, just some thoughts in my head. I know they're not true, but just stuff coming in, and the devil's saying these things about how um, this is going to affect us and, and, and threatening her value and worth. Um, and so we're like, well, that's not acceptable. So we prayed. And um, we know the power of prayer. We know the power of what God's given us. And so we turned to prayer. And we prayed the words that we knew to pray and things that made sense and came against what was going on there. And nothing shifted. Nothing sort of changed. But as we went, I don't know what else to pray, but I need the Spirit in me to pray. And we started praying. We were speaking in tongues and praying and praying with no understanding of really what was going on, not really understanding the spiritual battle because we're here in the physical. And as much as we are enlightened as spiritual, you know, connected to God, we still didn't see the battle, but we knew that we had the power over it because we knew that we were children of God. And as we prayed, it broke just like that, praying and praying and praying and then suddenly back. And it was an incredible testimony to both of us, an experience that we'll never forget, I think, of he is so much more powerful. When um, Caleb and Joshua went and spied the land with the other ten spies, they came back and there was all of these words that were being said around the camp, oh no, we're like grasshoppers, you know, it was a great place, exactly what God said, except that there's all of these problems with us, we can't we can't go in and take it because we're too small to beat these people. Um, in Numbers 13.10, it said, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The voices that were telling them, You're actually still slaves. Your mindset is, You cannot be here. You're here was still so pervasive that they couldn't hear it. And it's not until we silence the voices that are coming against, that are filling up all of the space that God wants to fill, can we actually bring in the truth and the light. And it said that he silenced the people first. And then he said, no, we can definitely go in and do it. Now, we know that the people didn't respond well to that. And they ended up traveling in the desert for 40 years because 40 days to get from Egypt to Canaan but another 40 years to get Egypt out of the minds and the hearts and the identity of the children of Israel because they didn't understand that they could go up and do it. They didn't know who God had made them. They didn't understand the power that God had already put in them because in their minds they were still stuck here. They were still believing the lie. They had no hope that they could actually go in and take this. And so the same sort of statements can um, come against us, I think, often. We come and things come and tell us, yeah, yeah, you can, you can be effective with a small group, but you can't possibly run a group of 20. You can't minister here. You can't do these things. These voices come in and they tell us, this is who you are, so don't, don't try and, you know, oh, you're good at reading. You can, you can understand things well, and that's, that's all well and good, but, you know, you can't teach, so don't. And these things come against us and make us ineffective because we're not operating in the power of what he wants to do in us because we don't understand who he's called us to be. So we're going to spend a few minutes here and we're going to pray that 
the Holy Spirit will come to us and open up our eyes to who he's called us to be. The Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation so that we can know God better. And as we know him better, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened and we begin to know who we really are in Christ. We begin to know the, the hope of our calling and we begin to be confident in the power and authority that he's actually given us. If we go and look elsewhere, we look somewhere else for enlightenment or understanding or identity and stuff, we'll spend our entire lives chasing around, seeking purpose and meaning and identity. And we see a lot in science. They're constantly looking for why are we here? What are we doing here? Where do we come from? We have these answers. And God wants to open up our eyes so that we can actually see and not just move into something that he wants us to do. It's not a, a mission. It's not a quick calling. It's not just a small something. This is our purpose. This is why we're here. This is our vocation. This is the ultimate expression of who we truly are, is the hope of our calling. So first, I'd like you to stand if you would. And if there's anyone here who doesn't actually know this God that I'm talking about, anyone who doesn't believe that they are actually connected to an incredible purpose, who doesn't understand what he's made us to be and what he's growing in us, what he's doing for us, I want to invite you to respond because I want you to know this God. I want you to know what he's done for you and who he's called you to be. I want you to understand how incredibly valuable you are and what an incredible price he paid and thought it was worth it. You were worth that. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and then come forward and we'll pray a prayer, asking that you can meet this God, asking that he can actually open up your spiritual eyes so you can see things how they really are, so that you can be more right in the things that you know. So on the count of three, I'll ask you to lift your hands. One, two, three. Is there anyone here who doesn't know him, who wants to meet him? If there's a pulling in your heart saying, I want to know you, he won't force himself. He won't force his way into your life. But he's saying, I'm right here, literally at the door, knocking and saying, let me show you who you are. Let me come into your life and make you whole. Let me give you the purpose that you're always seeking. If there's anyone here, I'd ask you just raise your hand and let me introduce you to him. The most amazing, the most important, the most significant thing that can possibly happen in your life could happen now. So I'll just give you a moment more. So we're also going to spend a few minutes here in prayer. And if you did feel that God was pulling on your heart saying, 
open up and come to know me. Just come and meet us at the end of the service because it would be our absolute privilege to introduce you to him. So we're also going to spend a few minutes just praying that the spirit of wisdom and knowledge will come into our hearts. We've spent the last month talking through what this actually means and starting to understand maybe some of what Paul's talking about when he talks about the eyes of our hearts being enlightened. But we want to actually make a little bit of space here while the band plays down on the altar, come and ask the Spirit to open up your eyes, to open up the eyes of your heart so that you can actually truly, truly know who he's called you to be because it's only then that we're actually going to get an understanding of our purpose in life. We're going to understand who he's called us to be and what he wants us to do. And if there's any area in your life that you go, I don't, I don't really have hope for this. You know, I've got, I've got families going well in church maybe, but my finances, I just, I'm never going to get on top of that. We know that that is the influence of a lie because God wants to do good things in the area of your finances. He wants to do good things in your marriage. He wants to do good things in your family and in your job. And we know. And so that we can understand the way that a child understands presents on Christmas Day, saying, this is my confident expectation of the future good that God has for us. So as the band plays, I ask that just come forward. Anything that's under the influence of a lie, anything that you don't have hope in, and we'll pray that God will come and meet you and open up your eyes. Lord, we thank you that you are so madly in love with us. As we finish this morning, I'd just like to pray over you the prayer that Paul was praying for the Ephesians. Lord, for everybody here today, Father, I pray that you'll give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you better. I pray for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened so that they'll know the hope to which you've called them, the riches of your glorious inheritance in them and your incomparably great power which you have for them. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.